Hey, what's up, Parkview family? It's Montel Jordan, and you guys know Kristen and I love you so much. We love the way you do church because it's based on the very first church in the book of Acts. And every once in a while, it's good to go back to the beginning and remember, this is how we do it. <laughs> Hey, everybody. I, uh, you know, I mean, last week, Pastor Todd brought his daughter out, so I thought, well, I'll have, I'll have my grandson preach with me, right? What, what did you think of the sermon last week, Charlie? It was great, but I thought that Todd was confusing. Yeah, right? Am I right? So what do you think? Should Ruby be our next senior pastor? No, I think I should be our next senior pastor. Okay, well, get out of here. All right, thank you, Charlie. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Um, I'm Tim. I'm the senior pastor here. I take a little break from preaching in the summer to get my head together, kind of just let God have some free space. And um, I, I, the one thing that I think God gave me this summer was a sense of urgency, you know? Uh, an urgency for the mission. And there's three, three reasons why, okay? Number one, I'm getting old. Number two, Christianity is becoming irrelevant. And number three, Jesus is coming back soon, okay? L let me unpack, okay? I'm in my 60s and my mind is slipping. Started listening to the country music. Um, I, I can never find my iPhone unless I hit the little thing on my Apple Watch. And I accidentally watched the Cubs game the other day. So, um, <laughs> It may, I know, right? It may be early onset for me. I don't know. And, and, and I'm, you know, I have maybe a third of my life left, but I don't know if I might only have a third of my brain. And it feels like the clock is ticking. Here's what I want you to promise me. If you hear that I got a cat, will you please just call the elders and say, okay, it's over. He's done. Okay. <laughs> Number two, more importantly, Christianity is becoming less relevant. New stats came out this summer um, that 81% of Americans believe in God. And, and that may be like, well, that's a B minus. That's not bad. Yeah, okay, except the, the deal is that's believe in God. Jesus said the demons believe in God. That's not a big deal. What are they doing about it? And the bigger point is that that's the lowest it's ever been in U.S. history. And guess what? That's not God's fault. It's the church's fault. I heard about a husband and wife. They were talking on Sunday morning, and she could tell he wasn't really looking like he was going to go to church. And she asked him why, and he said, well, I've got three reasons I'm not going. The congregation is cold, no one likes me, and I just don't want to go. And she looked at him and she said, well, honey, I'll give you three reasons why you should go. Some of the congregation is nice, a few of the people like you, and you're the pastor, so get up. <laughs> I, I, I don't feel that way, but a lot of people do about the church. And part of the problem is there are a lot of people that represent Jesus and they're saying and doing the dumbest things, okay? My sister sent me uh, what I thought to be a joke meme about a conspiracy theory pastor down south who literally said that they, you know, the they people, you know, when you have a conspiracy, who he calls the Luciferians because they're agents of Lucifer um, and Satan, he says that the infamous they are in a conspiracy to try to get us to eat meatless meat because it will change your DNA. And if it changes your DNA, you can't go to heaven. I'm not going to say the guy's name. Go home and look it up. I promise you it was that 
dumb. So, okay, dude, can I just talk for a second? I'm with you on meat. They'll have to pry bacon out of my cold, dead hands, okay? Right. I'm with you on how much we have screwed up our bodies and our cells with additives and GMOs. But is it a conspiracy? I mean, is there really a they who is trying to mess with us? Or are we just not paying enough attention to what we eat? I'm just having trouble thinking, dude, that I'll ever have one of those detective shows on TV on, you know, and have the guy go, well, we thought he was the killer, but his DNA doesn't match. Oh, wait, maybe he's been eating bean burgers. That's the idea. This is so stupid. Number two, who said your soul was in your DNA? I mean, unless Impossible Burgers can turn me into a cat, I can still go to heaven. It doesn't matter about my DNA. That doesn't matter. And number three, stop it. Stop it. We have a mission to help reach people who don't have Jesus. Not to say stuff that is so dumb that people will think that Jesus is dumb. So stop it. Number three, Jesus is coming back. Jesus turned to them and, and he said, when you see the crowds, the clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here comes a shower, and you're right. And when the south wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher. And you know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times, okay? You haven't heard me talk a lot about Jesus' return other than the fact that it's going to happen. Because I am the opposite of those people who overly interpret the signs and tell people that Jesus is coming. They've been doing that for 2,000 years, and I've lived long enough to see a bunch of them come and go, all right? But it is going to happen, and I'm more convinced that it could happen in our lifetime. Here's why. Again, Jesus' own words. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Oh, yeah, when you read that in 2022, it's a little different, isn't it? And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people with stories about bean burgers. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Okay? Many will turn away from the faith. Yes, check. Okay? Gospel preached to the whole world. Jesus said he wasn't going to come back until the gospel had gone to the whole world. And the people that study this say that we're getting close. That most mission organizations believe it could happen in our generation. There's only 1,500, 2,000 people groups that haven't been reached with the gospel. And, and we're not there yet. And Jesus is not going to automatically come back, you know, as soon as that happens. But that had to happen first, so it does make you kind of think. And several years ago, I remember one leader of a mission organization said, I think that this could all be done by the end of 2022. And obviously it's not. He was off a little bit. But, I mean, I was rethinking about that this summer. I was like, you know, what if New Year's Eve 2022 was Jesus coming back? I mean, that would be a cool time for him to come back, right? Big party, everybody's looking up at the fireworks, and boom, there's Jesus. As long as you haven't had too much to drink, that, then that would be like, Happy New Year, is that Jesus? I mean, it'd just be, it, it'd be weird, okay? But the, but the one that really got me is because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. It's a crazy time. No doubt. And don't worry. Jesus said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but don't panic, okay? I'm not trying to, I mean, Jesus coming back is good, okay? But I'm also not trying to get you to panic. I mean, this, this is the, 
<laughs> this is what John Eldridge said. Unflappable Jesus about this passage, the most level-headed guy ever, simply refused to get baited into any of the drama of his own day, and he urges us to be unflappable too. Jesus knew that everything was going to be shouting for our attention, trying to get us all spun up about bean burgers, this injustice, that expose. The message shouted at us from every side is, get upset, you really ought to be upset about it, but it wears a soul down, okay? Please don't let that happen. This just just get away from all of that stupid stuff. But, but what this means is if Jesus is coming back, it's going to be a good thing. There's no more crying or pain or death or mourning. That's all good. Everything will be set right. And so Jesus coming, what should that look like for us? This is a poster somebody sent me. Jesus is coming. Look busy. Everybody look busy, okay? I don't think that's what we're looking for. This is the poster I used to have in my office and I probably need to get it back. It's this, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And what is the main thing? It's the mission, okay? I remember reading um, about the Eastern Airliners uh, disaster in the Florida Everglades, 1972, long time ago. But, uh, you know, it was one of those horrible disasters. New York to Miami, holiday pass passengers, and it crashed in the Florida Everglades. Everglades. And what we found out later about that, remember it's 1972, is what happened is they deployed the landing gear and the light didn't come on that said the landing gear was on. And, and they, they weren't close enough to the tower yet to be able to get a visual. And, you know, again, the technology wasn't there for them to know for sure one way or the other. So they started messing around with the light bulb. They literally, like, the flight engineer came in. He was like, well, maybe the light bulb went out. So he was fiddling with the light bulb. And he couldn't get the light bulb out. True story. Then the pilots started helping. And, and, and then, uh, the, the, like, the flight attendants were trying to help get the little light bulb out. And all of that time, the black, spot, black box recorded that the, they didn't realize as they were flying over the Everglades that it was descending. And they literally flew the plane into the ground, and hundreds of people died while they were messing around with the light bulb. Okay? Because the crew forgot momentarily to keep the main thing the main thing, which is to fly the plane. The main thing for us is to do the mission of Jesus. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Okay? So here's, here's what's really important about that. Um, that translation is kind of bad. Okay, the gates of hell will not prevail. Some of you knew that verse in the King James. What does that mean? Well, gates don't attack. It's a bad translation, okay? Gates don't attack unless you're in a Harry Potter movie, right? What that's saying is Jesus is saying that the church is strong and, and, and hell's gates can't stand up against it. What he's not saying is that the church is strong and hell's gates can't hurt you and you should hunker down in your churches and don't go vegan and, and, and I'll come back someday and rescue you. He's saying that the church is strong and hell's gates can't stand up under the attack because Christianity is supposed to be about offense, okay? Come on, it's almost football season, right? We get this. It's about offense. The Bears are picked by some to finish dead last in the NFC North. Come on, are we excited this year? We're supposed to be pounding the gates of hell, not cowering in our pews, worrying about the things that are going to hurt us. So how does that happen? Well, we were given a model in the book of Acts. Um, so for a few weeks, we're just going back to the very beginning to remember this is how we do it. The church started out great. 
for at least a few chapters, so let's learn from them. I love the story of the guy that was busted for selling fountain of youth pills, fountain of youth pills. And the prosecutor in the courtroom said, Judge, this is not his first offense. You should throw the, just throw the book at him. He was also arrested for this in 1980, 1936, 1893, and 1829. It takes you a little while, right? Yeah, but hey, if you find something that works, stick with it, okay? So we found something that works in the Bible, Book of Acts, that's what we're doing. Todd and Ruby did a great job last week, and we jumped up to Acts 6 because we wanted you to get started in, get in the mission and get helping us as they did, as they needed people to help with the widows and the orphans. They needed people to help in the church, and they appointed servants and deacons to go do that. So I'm going to go back today and start back at the very beginning, chapter 1, and take you through. And we begin our story by looking at the final moments of Jesus on earth, okay? And if you don't understand this about the Bible, Luke... Gospel of Luke writer also wrote Acts. So if you want to look at the whole story of, of history, Luke is like part one and Acts is like part two, okay? So this is Luke. He's a doctor. He's, he's smart. He's, he's capturing all these things and he's telling us about the beginning of the church. And here's where we go. After Jesus' suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John (coughs) baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus shows himself to disciples. He gives them a command. Wait, okay? Wait for the gift my father promised, the Holy Spirit. Okay, really, really important that you have the Holy Spirit, that you don't go off and try to do all this stuff on your own, okay? Wait for the Holy Spirit, God at work in the lives of the believers. And when we accept Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But at this point, the Holy Spirit hasn't taken up residence in the lives of the believers yet. And Jesus had promised it, and he's telling them, just be patient, it's going to happen. And then in verse 6 of chapter 1, we get a little bit more explanation about what they do. And this is what I love, okay? It's really, really important that you see where things happen so that you can be prepared for what is getting ready to go on. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem is the city where they are. Judea, Samaria is like the state, and the ends of the earth is the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before them with their very, before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. And they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go in. And just like that, Jesus was gone. And they were told to wait for the Holy Spirit. Because the problem is, if you get ahead of God, you'll be in your own power. And you're going to see the Holy Spirit come in, okay? Um, and they're going to speak in languages that they couldn't speak. And they're going to have a, a rushing mighty wind and tongues of fire on their head. And, and, and 3,000 people are going to get saved that very first day. That had nothing to do with them. That was all the power of God, Okay. But I want you to check and see what they did to prepare themselves. 
Because this is where we need to go today. They, they needed to wait on God's power to work, but they needed to handle some things on their own first, okay? And this is, this is the sense of urgency that I have. They didn't just sit around twiddling their thumbs. They got ready for what they knew God was going to do. And Peter stood up and started talking about J- Judas, who had, had committed suicide after he betrayed Jesus, And he said, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who's been with us the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with John's baptism up until the time Jesus was taken, for one of these must become a witness with us to the resurrection. So basically they're saying, we need somebody to take Judas's spot. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, I don't know how many names he needed, and Matthias. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. And they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Is that awesome? Okay, listen, they needed, they needed to wait on God's power to work but they needed to handle some things on their own. Jesus said, wait, and they were like, okay, we're gonna wait, but we're gonna do some stuff. We're gonna align ourselves with the things that we know we need to do so that when God's ready to work, we're ready. So they already had this. They only had the Old Testament, but even in Psalms, they knew that Judas's place needed to be replaced. So if you want to align yourself with the work of God, you start here, and, and often it's just general principles, and he leaves our options open, And then they prayed. Notice how simple the prayer was. Uh, I mean, it was just like, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one this is. James, the brother of Jesus, said, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And then, you guys, (laughs) they basically flipped a coin. They cast lots. I mean, it was like they, they rolled the dice. And it went to Matthias. Why? Well, because either choice was really right. They just needed to act on it. So, so someday when we're in heaven and the 12 apostles are on the 12 thrones, according to the book of Revelation, one of those guys is going to be Matthias. And he's going to basically be there because the coin landed on heads. And Joseph Barsabbas Justice will not be sitting on the throne. I think it's because God didn't want to write all those names on it, you know? <laughs> Let's just go with a one-name guy. Okay, there you go. My point is this. They went to Scripture, and they decided that they were going to obey no matter what. They were going to do the stuff they needed to do while they waited for the power of God. They looked at their options. They picked out... Two people, they prayed, and they made a decision. Because the important thing was not which person they picked. The important thing was that they did what they knew needed to happen. Okay, can I say that again? The important thing was not which person they picked. The important thing was that they did what they knew needed to happen. Because they needed to wait on God's power to work, but they needed to handle some things on their own first. Usually the problem isn't figuring out God's will, it's having the courage to, or just the desire to do something about it. 
I know a lot of churches and a lot of Christians who don't do much, and they just blame it on the Lord. The Lord didn't tell me to do anything. No, he told you to do a whole lot. And you know, I'm never going to know this, but it does really make me wonder if the Holy Spirit would have even come if they hadn't gone ahead and done what they knew they needed to do. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, there's going to be 12 apostles again. And I don't know, I mean, I think that was predicated on the fact that there were 12 of them there. Would God have worked if they hadn't prepared themselves for his moving? Was he waiting on them? Is he waiting on you? Then what happened? Well, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Peter and the other now 11 apostles, instead of 10, are ready, and God shows up big time, and what happened? The Holy Spirit shows up, and they got the power. Simon Peter, who a little over a month ago was so cowardly, he could not even admit he was Jesus' follower to a, 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 a young girl in the courtyard of the high priest gets baptized by the Holy Spirit, and he has so much courage that he stands up and literally in front of thousands of people and accuses them of crucifying Jesus. The disciples, who had all run off during Jesus' trial and crucifixion, except for John, that's what the scriptures tell us, the disciples who fell asleep on the last night of Jesus' life when he begged them three times to stay awake with him, they started speaking in languages that they'd never studied or probably even heard, and people were able to understand them. Why? Because they handled the stuff they knew to do, and then God's power showed up. Okay? I'm going to switch the sentence. They handled the stuff they knew to do, and then God's power showed up. So obviously, there is a crowd gathered now. Obviously. And so Peter, at some point, addresses the crowd and very boldly uses the stuff that they know about the Messiah to preach to them from the Old Testament because they're all Jews that are listening to him. And he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God who has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. I mean, these are probably a lot of the same people that Peter was running away from 53 days ago during the trial of Jesus. When he swore he didn't know Jesus. And now he's saying, well, yeah, I knew him and I followed him and I flaked out for a brief moment, but I'm back and I'm telling you he's the son of God. And you're probably going to believe me this time because I have a fireball over my head. Fireball. Thank you, Pitbull. <laughs> That's the difference between having the Holy Spirit or not, okay? And part of the reason that it happened is because they did all the things they needed to do to prepare for it. In other words, they handled the stuff they knew to do, and then God's power showed up. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, because the Holy Spirit convicts us, and, Peter, and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. What you should do, Peter said, is turn back around and go towards God and get baptized, and you can have this Holy Spirit also. And it goes on and says, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They got baptized right then and there. Check this, so that they could be ready for God's power to show up. They handled the stuff they knew to do and God's power showed up. Oh, we're gonna have a lot of baptisms today. Lord, we gonna dunk them all up in here today. That's what's gonna happen. Can you hear me? Oh no, I know what you're saying to yourself. You're like, oh PT, are you saying I have to get baptized by water immersion to have the Holy Spirit? I'm not saying that. Spirit of God worked in the Old Testament. Spirit of God worked in Jesus before he got baptized. But check this out. When Jesus went and got baptized, what happened? As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, the heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I mean, come on. How hard is this? Well, PT, what should we do? Well, you should handle the stuff you know to do and then watch God's power show up. It's really that simple. Okay, well, I was already baptized as a baby and I confirmed it later. That's cool. We don't want to minimize that. For some of you, that really was your decision. And if so, I'd still suggest you do immersion baptism as a recommitment to Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't need to get baptized for the remission of sin or the gift of the Holy Spirit, but he still got baptized. I mean, make it like a 25th wedding anniversary renewal of your vows. I guarantee you that when you do something Jesus asks you to do, you will never regret it. But the problem for me is that as I talk to a lot of you who grew up in a system where you did baptism and then confirmation, a lot of you did it because it was expected. And that's why we at Parkview don't have a specific age or a forced time when our kids get baptized. They do it when they're ready. Whenever your kids are ready, we have a class for them. They don't even have to do that. You're the parent. When they're ready, you'll know, okay? You see, the, the thing is, I don't remember the first time I said yes to Jesus. I don't remember the first time I told Jesus that I loved him because Jesus loves me was my first song, okay? I grew up with that. But you know what I do remember? I do remember being baptized by immersion by my dad, who was the pastor at the church in Arvada, Colorado, on April 12, 1970, when I was eight and a half years old. And that is the way it should be. It should be memorable for you, okay? I almost think it would be better to be like my friend who was a missionary in Kenya who said, when we did baptisms, we had to do it in the rapids of the rivers because if you did it in the slow parts of the river, there were crocodiles, okay? And you might literally be baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I think that would be awesome, but they had to do it in the rapids so they didn't have to worry about it. That's, that ought to be our decision. Then here's what Paul said. He said, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And if we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Baptism was supposed to be a tomb. We're lowered into the water. We die to sin. That's why it was always immersion in the Bible. And when you're raised up, you're a new creation. You're a new person. You've done the stuff to get ready for the Holy Spirit. So that when your physical body dies or Jesus comes back, it's all good. Even if your DNA has been altered by the Luciferians, it's all good. Because you're already united with Christ in his death and you'll be united with him in his resurrection. So we're doing baptisms at all of our campuses today. Got the tubs out, outside, ready to go. We've already had a ton of them. I don't even have a count yet. And if today's your day, make it happen. And if you're watching online, please contact us and we will help you find a place to do it. And listen, I know some of you are like, oh, you're making baptism a work. No, I'm, no, I'm not. If, if baptism was about the act itself and there was something in the water or the act that actually removed my sin, I would need to be baptized in hydrochloric acid. I don't know about you, Maybe you could just go with muriatic acid. It's a little bit better, but I, I know me. I'm a sinner. And thankfully, baptism is about the heart. And so is communion, which we're going to do right now. It's a time to just stop and examine your heart and remember that you're not good enough to get into heaven. It's about humbly saying yes to Jesus. I, I need you. There's a little cellophane part on the top. If you peel that off, you'll find the bread. And then the foil part covers over the juice. And we'll take a moment um, for you to have some reflection time. And then we'll come back and we'll take it together. But let me, let me just, my sense of urgency, okay? If you've never accepted Jesus, do it today. Tell him you're ready to submit your throne to his throne. You want him to be in charge. That's really all you need to do. And if you haven't been baptized by immersion, man, we've got it ready for you to go and do it. What a perfect way to get yourself ready for the spirit of God to move. Bow the knee today. I'm gonna pray for us and, um, and then we'll take a moment to reflect and we'll come back and do communion. Finish out with a song and we'll be ready for you. Father God, as I, look, as I look at our world and look at the way things have gone in the last few years, um, it does make me wonder. And I'm, I'm sad, honestly, Jesus. Not for this church because I love this church, but I, I'm, I'm sad for what is going on out there in the world and all the reasons that people are turning away from their faith in you. And so few of those reasons have really anything to do with you. And I just imagine you like the father of the prodigal, just looking out from the fence, wanting them to come home. And I see so many older brothers who are just doing so many things to get in the way 
And I pray that you'll help us to never do that. And I pray that you'll get those people out of the way. And if that prodigal is listening to me right now, that person who's gone away from you or never been with you, I pray that right now you'll just knock on the door of their heart and that they will open up and just say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness for my sin. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Be with us as we commune. It's in your name that we pray. Before we take our moment of reflection, will you just repeat the good confession with me? If you believe this, say it out loud. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he is my Lord and Savior. All right, take a moment. bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. Take and eat. And this juice represents his blood that was shed for you. Take and drink. Lord, we give our lives to you. Uh, We know the time is short, one way or the other. And we got stuff to do as a church. I pray that if there are new people, listen to this right now. They're thinking about making Parkview their home, that they will grab a hold of the urgency and not just be looking for a church that they can hang out at, but that they, they will see a church that is about the mission, is, is, is about the urgency of the things that need to happen. And a church that is so ready for your Holy Spirit to be upon us and is so willing to move with your spirit into our community. And we ask for that to happen. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with me and we'll worship together.